Well, we're going to be in Psalm 66 today. You can open up to Psalm 66. We're going through the book of Psalms, and it is called a song for every season because the Psalms are songs, the songs of the Old Testament. And what we are going to discover today is this psalm is an invitation to come and see what God has done. Maybe you have been beckoned to come and see something interesting in the past. When our high school took a trip, uh, Amos Alonzo Stag High School, took a trip to Disney, uh, we were walking around seeing all sorts of amazing things. Then we saw something unusual. There was a like, a, like a roped off area with barriers that you could not see through, and it formed a square on the ground. And we were all like, what's going on in there? So we walked up to this barrier square, and we looked inside, and there was nothing more than concrete drying. And as we walked up and looked in, we realized that other people walked up and looked inside too. And they realized there was nothing in there. And so we thought, well, this could be a fun game. So we decided to start reacting as if there was something amazing inside that box, that barrier, like some sort of an animal or something. We said, whoa, this is amazing. Everyone come and check it out. And then there were like 20, 30 people who walked up and looked at concrete drying. And we backed up and walked away, and you know what we did? We started a chain reaction of people walking. An hour later, we came back, and there were still people walking up to look inside. And as they walked away, other people walked up to look inside. It may have gone on all day long. And they were looking at nothing but drying concrete. But we said, come and see. Everybody check it out. Now today the psalmist is saying, come and see, check it out. But what we're going to see is much more amazing than concrete drying. We're actually going to see the glory of Almighty God. And in Psalm 66, we are going to learn what it means to find God and to worship Him. Hey, let's pray before we get into the Word together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless our time together in the book of Psalms. We're invited to come and see your glory. And we pray that you would show us, O oh Lord, how great and amazing you are. Teach us through this ancient song, this ancient hymn, what it means to worship the one true God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in Psalm 66, it says this. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Hey, what does a shout sound like? Let me hear it. One, two, three, go ahead, shout. Can you imagine if the whole earth shouted at the same time? Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? That's what the psalmist wants. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He's awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Do you hear him say in verse 5, come and see what God has done? This is an invitation to remember how the newborn nation of Israel was delivered from slavery under the Pharaoh. This is a reminder of how God saved them and delivered them, and it's a call to all the earth to sing about that. Now, number one, if you got a note sheet on the way in, you can write this down. Has God saved you? 
If the world is being beckoned and called to sing to God for salvation, has God saved you? Are you joining in the song of people who have been redeemed? Have you heard the call and have you responded? God is a saving God and we all must be saved by God. Maybe you heard the tragic news this last week of an apartment complex that collapsed in Miami. There had perhaps been some warnings for years about the structural integrity of this building and it went unheeded and then the shocking security video released an entire tower crumbling in an instant and then it dragged down the tower right next to it. There were over a hundred people presumed to have perished. I think that toll is up over 160 now. They were just gone. But thankfully, there were actually 35 people saved from the wreckage or some standing up in their apartment or their windows. Some apartments had been literally cut in half and there was only half of a, an apartment left. And listen, they had to be rescued. They had to be saved. And we have to understand that when the Bible describes our need, it says that we have to be saved. We have to realize that we have all fallen under the wreckage of the collapse of humanity, the rubble. And listen, we have no hope unless God comes down to rescue us. So are you a saved person? Have you admitted your need and understood that you are crushed under the collapse of the full weight of your sin and God must drag your soul out to safety? Are you a saved person? Jot this down. Have you heard of all of his amazing deeds? To highlight what God has done, the author of this psalm reminds us of the greatest deliverance ever found in the Bible, and that is when God delivered his people out of Egypt and they walked through the Red Sea. It says that he turned the sea, verse 6, into dry land. They passed through the river on foot, so first through the Red Sea and then through the Jordan River. God delivered his people safely into the land of promise. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever who keeps his eyes watching on the nations, and then a warning, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Hey, have you heard in the Bible of all the wonderful deeds God has done? Did you hear how the Israelites were captive for 400 years, the Pharaoh, and then Moses showed up and said, let my people go, and he wouldn't, and then plague after plague pounded that nation until finally the Pharaoh said, all right, go, go. But then Pharaoh changed his mind, and with his entire army, he chased this nation. Over a million people stranded in the desert, and there was water on one side and death on the other. And God said to Moses, what are you waiting for? walk out into the water and lift up your staff and part the sea. Now Moses didn't grow up learning about Moses. This had never happened before and out he went and by faith he lifted up that staff and the waters parted and there was a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. All night long the people of God passed through and they were spared and then when the Egyptians tried to come in after them the water came back over and they were all destroyed. Have you heard about the awesome deeds of God? Hey, listen, that's not a myth. That really happened. And it's not just history. God was acting out what he actually has to do for every single one of us here today. We are dead. We're being pursued by sin and death and Satan, and we can't escape. And only Jesus can open up those waters of sin and death and take us safely to the other side. We have to follow him because he's the way, the truth, and the truth that Moses spoke of. And if we follow him through those dark waters of death and sin, then we get to the other side and our enemies can't hurt us anymore. 
Hey, have you heard about the amazing things God has done? Do you know the truth about God, the God of the Bible? You see, many people today will believe in a God, but the Bible warns us that even the demons believe in the one true God. That's even not enough. Believing in the one true God is not enough to get saved because Satan himself believes in the one true God. You have to believe in God's plan and his path, and the plan is a person, Jesus Christ. Oftentimes today, people believe in what I would call Build-A-God. Have you ever been to Build-A-Bear? How many of you have been to Build-A-Bear? You get to build your own bear. You get to pick out what you want and stuff it and put the eyes and the hat and the dress and the whatever, and you get to decide what your bear looks like. A lot of people think they just start from scratch and they get to build their own God. But that is false. We don't get to build our own God. There is one true God, and he wants us to know him and to worship him. Other people live by the mantra of, I'm a God. What I say is right, what I say is wrong is wrong, and I just want to live my life, my way. And they expect to be their own God, but that plan doesn't work because there is only one true God. And then a lot of people believe there's just not a God. Whatever, we just die and nothing. And But that's a false belief as well. Have you heard of the one true God? Do you believe in his amazing deeds? And do you worship him? Jot this down. Has he delivered you from sin and death? Has he delivered you from sin and death? It says here, come and see what God has done. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through. We rejoice in him. But then it says there are the rebellious. God's keeping his eyes on the nations who rebel against God and don't serve him. So it's either one or the other. Has God delivered you from sin and death? Or are you still in a state of rebellion? I can tell you that I got saved when I was a freshman in college locally. And um, God used, I was in a metal band. And God used the bass player in that metal band to invite me to church. And I grew up Catholic, so I knew some of the stories, but I never really took it into my heart. And then I found out that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. And I said, well, that's kind of not what I learned growing up. I learned there was a lot of work, a lot of religion, and you had to kind of build up your credit with God. And then when you died, hopefully you were good. But the Bible says that it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works. And that just set my heart free. Hey, that's when God delivered me from sin and death. How did he save you? You know, you can be saved at any point in your life, whether you're four or 44 or 94, but you have to be born again. C.S. Lewis was saved when he was in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle heading to a zoo. And he was a thinker, and so he had been up all night having conversations about God, and he said, when I started my trip to the zoo, I was not a Christian. When I arrived, I was. Some of you have very emotional testimonies, but for C.S. Lewis, here's how it happened. Light bulb. He was just sitting there, and he got saved. I know that there's uh, Billy Graham, the most famous evangelist in history. He was saved when a traveling evangelist pulled up in a box truck in his neighborhood and started preaching out the back. And he looked down at Billy Graham, and he said, Billy Graham, young man, you are a sinner. And he had never thought about that before. And he admitted that. He admitted that he was a sinner. He needed to be forgiven. And then he invested his whole life going around all the world telling people that same truth. Charles Spurgeon wandered into a church during a blizzard and the backup preacher had to come up with a sermon on the spot and he was saved and he impacted lives all around the world. Hey, are you saved? Have you admitted that you are a sinner? When it comes to what a sin is, sometimes people don't even know what a sin is, but it's breaking God's law. There are rules 
there are rules really in everything in life that we have to respect. Uh, my son had a playoff game this morning, and this is his last year in Payless Baseball Organization, so a little sentimental, and uh, their team wasn't doing so good this year. Got off to a great start, and he told me they were near last place. Not last place, but near last place. So they were playing one of the best teams, and the game was yesterday. Well, you saw the weather yesterday, am I right? So they had a rain delay, they had to clear the field off, but they were tied 9-9 nine to nine going into the second to the last inning, and then they called the game because of rain. So the game picked back up this morning at 10 a.m., and I shot over there just for a little bit to hopefully catch it. This could be his last game, right? And so they gave it to this other team. It was within one run. They scored a run. We scored a run. And so then going into the last inning, Jared's team was down by one. And they had to score to tie or the season would be over. And so then here's what happened. The pitcher was on the mound. And as he wound up to throw the pitch from the other team, the wind knocked his hat right off. And so his pitch went wild and hit the batter on Jared's team. And so that guy, the tying run, got on first base. The coach said, up, up. That was supposed to be a stop because the wind blew his hat off. I'm sorry, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Well, the coach wasn't happy. Then the next batter got up into the box, and while he was pitching, he had two strikes, and there's two outs. The game's almost over. And while the pitcher started his windup, the batter said timeout. The ump said time. And the coach said, ump, you can't do that. He started his windup. And the ump said, I'm sorry. That was on me. Next pitch comes, and the batter sails it over the right field fence. They're up by one run. The other coach goes bonkers. And then the next batter gets up, home run over the left field fence. We're now up by three. And the other coach goes bonkers. Why? Because there are rules. And the rules protect the game. Now, I'd like to call it a miracle. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. But then they went into the next inning. And the other team loaded the bases up. And then Jared's team actually uh, retired the side, and Jared's team won. They are advancing to the next game in the playoffs. <laughs> now, here's the point. We see it in sports. We see it in the courts. We see it everywhere. There are rules. There are laws. And in baseball, the rules protect the game. If you don't follow the rules, the game is lost. And listen, in life, God gives laws because uh, the laws protect our souls. The rules God has handed down protect our souls, and therefore we have broken God's law, and we must repent and be saved. So if God has delivered your soul because you're a lawbreaker, then jot this down, praise him. Praise him. If you've heard of all of his amazing deeds, and he's delivered you from sin and death, then we are invited with the whole world to sing praise as saved people to God. So number one, has God saved you? Number two starts to talk about the trials God put his new nation through. Jot this down. Has God sustained you through a trial? Has God sustained you through a trial? Verse 8 says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living, meaning saved us from death, and has not let our feet slip. Listen to verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. 
This is what it means to follow God. Your faith will be tested. Everyone will be tested by hardship to know that if your faith is true and to strengthen it and purify it. Hey, has God sustained you through a trial? A lot of people are caught off guard when life gets hard. Why do Christians uh, get sick? Why do Christians car break down? Why do Christians lose their job? Isn't there a good God up in heaven to take care of all that stuff? Well, I heard an amazing story this last week. The USS Gerald Ford is the largest and most advanced aircraft carrier in the world. It's in our fleet. The U.S. invested, get this, $12.8 billion of your tax dollars to construct the ship. It stands 250 feet tall and runs over 1,000 feet long. Now, immediately after it was constructed and commissioned in 2017, it began a four-year period of, get this, testing. Four years of testing before it's sent out to the fleet. Last week, the test culminated with what's called, get this, a full ship shock trial. A full ship shock trial, where the Navy detonated a 40,000 pound explosive in the water next to the ship to verify that it could survive. Now, why would the Navy try to sink its own ship? Well, here's what they said. To confirm that our warships can continue to meet demanding mission requirements under harsh conditions they might encounter in battle. Four years of testing and then they try and blow it up. Why would they do that? Because they have to verify that it is battle ready, that the integrity of the hull will hold, that there's no imperfections. And listen, God will subject you and me to a full ship shock trial where a 40,000 pound explosive goes off right next to you. Why would he do that? And I love what the Navy said to verify that it's battle ready. God will put you and me through the furnace. He'll catch us in the net. The crushing burden will be put on our back. The face in the mud march through the fire and the water. But listen, then it ends with, according to this Psalm, the place of abundance. God took his newly born nation through the fire, they had to conquer their way into the land, and, and God did it. So jot this down. Has he allowed your faith to be tested? Has God sustained you through a trial? Has he allowed your faith to be tested? It says here, we went through fire and water. Now, what has God taken you through? You see, one test of genuine faith is it survives the trial. It survives the trial. There are so many people who, when life gets hard, they turn and walk away from God. And that means that they never had true, deeply rooted faith. They were following God for the goodie bag, uh, the big old pinata in the sky. But when God took those blessings away, they were out. Some people have never had faith. They've never trusted God to provide for them or protect them. And, and, and the psalmist here is beckoning us to not lose faith when life gets hard. Job, the most uh, righteous man of his generation, and he lost all of his children and all of his business in a day. He lost it all. And Job said to his wife, shall we accept only good from God and not bad? And that's really what we want from God, isn't it? Only good. You give me only good, I'm good to you, you're good to me, and then I'll keep following you. And God says, no deal. He says, no deal. He will set your life on fire. There are so many images in the Bible, the, the, uh, the parable of the vine dresser, right? Where uh, the vine dresser comes and prunes the vine. You know what that means? It means that the vine dresser walks up to the vine with a knife and starts cutting things away. I preached a sermon on that once and the title of the sermon was, put down the knife, God. Because God walks up to your life and starts cutting stuff away with a knife. It's called pruning. So that you will bear more fruit. 
I'm so blessed by the people in our church who have walked faithfully through the fire, whether they got an unexpected diagnosis or maybe a child was delivered early or they lost their job or lost their spouse or subject to chronic illness. Some of my favorite stories I've heard from people is when they tell me about the problems and the trials and the hardship. And then in the end, they say, but God is good and he's seeing me through all of it. They haven't lost faith. They are still walking with him. Has God allowed your faith to be tested? Jot this down. Did he provide for you and protect you? Did he provide for you? Do you have stories where we couldn't make it if God didn't come through? Do you have stories of I didn't know how I was going to get through this in one piece? Do you have big God stories? I remember when I was a new Christian and they had a binder in the back of the church and they said, we would like to invite you to write down a God story. Well, I had only been a Christian for a month. And so I walked up to that binder and all these people were writing these long flowing stories. And I thought to myself, I really don't have anything to write. I mean, he saved me and that's huge, but I don't have anything to really write down because he hasn't done anything else yet. And boy, if you put that binder in front of me today, I could fill a hundred of them. Story after story of God providing for us and protecting us. Do you have God stories? And remember, God is not against you when you're suffering. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Did he provide for you and protect you? The psalmist is talking about what God has done for the Israelites. And then he starts talking about his response. Jot this down. Praise him. Praise him. Has God saved you? Have you heard of all of his amazing deeds? Has he delivered you from sin and death? Praise him. Has God sustained you through a trial, allowed your faith to be tested? Did he provide for you and protect you? Praise him. Praise him. And then the third point describes what this psalmist is doing and how he's devoting himself to the one true God. So jot this down, number three. Are you personally devoted to God? Are you, pers are you saved? Are you walking through trials with God? And are you personally devoted to him? Verse 13 says this. I will, now it's I, now he's talking about what he's going to do. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. So in the Old Testament, the way they would give their offering, it'd be kind of funny if they did it today. But they were shepherds, you know, they had animals, they were farmers, so they'd actually bring the offering in the form of livestock. It'd be kind of funny if somebody walked up with a goat, another with two sheep, and some brought up some birds, if we actually gave our gifts to God through animals. Uh, but they were, this, this guy's now saying, I'm going to praise him because of how amazing he is. Verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Your God stories, God wants you to tell the world. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Hey, are you personally devoted to God? This is, the, this is the song, the description of a person who is personally, daily devoted to God. There's evidence that he serves God, and God is number one overall. I've told you that we got a puppy last year. His name is Cosmo. He's a golden doodle, and he's really well-behaved most of the time, but he's sneaky. 
When he wants to do something naughty, he's quiet about it. We just look over and he's laying down on the ground chewing on something. Then we walk over there and we find whatever, a spatula, a fork. We find a sponge, we whatever, he, a golf ball. He's real sneaky about it. And then when we walk up to him, he does the same thing every time. He stiffens up a little bit. And as soon as we get close, he chomps down on it. And now to try and pry that out of his little puppy jaws is impossible unless you bring him something better. And he's amazing at deciphering. He'll actually look at you. And if you come up with a treat, right, something, people, food, he will drop whatever in his mouth because he knows what you have is better. Now, there's a lot in common because the way we act as people is the same thing. Whatever we got, we won't drop it unless we know there's something better. And I need you to know that when it comes to following God, when it comes to giving your life to Christ, whatever else you're holding on to is worse. And whatever God has for you, just drop what you got. Take what God has because it's better forever. Are you personally devoted to God? Jot this down. Do you worship with other believers? You see what the psalmist says here? I will come into your house with burnt offerings. So he's gathering together to worship with other people of God. It doesn't save you to be a part of a church, but if year after year after year rolls on and you're not in a spiritual family, that just makes you wonder if you truly are a family member of God. Because true Christians look forward to worshiping with other believers every week. There's big problems when you go it alone without friends, without family, and the church you know, can't help you when you go through trials. It's strong, deep relationships that bring encouragement and accountability. I needed help this week. Every week I give you an update on our fixer-upper. And we bought a fixer-upper. And so this week we were just about to go to bed. I think it was Sunday night. And then I heard drip, drip, drip. And I walked over to our newly remodeled bathroom and I realized that right above the door frame there was a trickle of water dripping in and falling on the ground. Not good when every single day is supposed to be a downpour uh, this week. And so I went up there and didn't see much in the attic, and so I just left it. Well, later in the week, another downpour came, and now the drip became a trickle, and there was a little trickle falling from this. Then I got up there and realized that we had a problem, because our roof was leaking. And so I called up my friend also who goes to this church, and he, he knows roofing, and he came over, and we took a look at it. And he said, well, there's a rusty nail right here. He said, look at it. And he wiggled it. He said, this nail is the problem. And I said, I don't know how to fix that. And I don't have the money to do it. So he went up on the roof and he started nosing around and he found the exact spot where something had gone wrong. Now listen, the water was pooling on the drywall over the bathroom. The damage was going to become bad soon. Insurance claims and redoing the whole thing. But he got up there and he fixed that one spot. And now the problem is solved. Now, I like that because not only did I need another brother to help me out physically, spiritually, that's the way life works. There's going to be things that go wrong in your soul, and somebody's going to have to come up and say, hey, it looks like you got a leak here, and you got to deal with it. And when a brother or sister tells you, I can help you with that, look, the problems are just going to compound. The water's going to be pouring in, and pretty soon the whole ceiling is going to give way and fall through. And woe unto you if you don't have a church family around you when that happens. Or even worse, if someone all along was saying, we got to fix this, we got to fix this, hey, girlfriend. Yeah, you know, hey, hey, dude, come on. We got to fix this. And that's what the church family does. And then it avoids the catastrophe of going it alone. Do you worship with other believers? When it comes to having a community in your life, it's impossible to mature spiritually without community. No community, no maturity 
because spiritually we are a body. We are united to others, and we can't grow without the body. Do you worship with other believers? And another question here is, do you give? The uh, psalmist here says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings, meaning he's a giver. And it is the natural response of a saved person when the, we realize that God gave so much, his only son, to save us that we give back to God. David said, I, I won't give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. The Psalms say, come into his presence and bring an offering. Even Cain and Abel from the very earliest chapters of the Bible, when they appear before God, they have something. And have you faced that reality that not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but out of love, God wants you when you appear before him to have something. I'm sure you wouldn't go to a relative's birthday party empty-handed because it shows you're disinterested or you, you don't have any rumblings about it, right? Guess who brought nothing to the party? Wow, and so don't come empty-handed. Give to the Lord. Do you worship with other believers? I remember the sinful woman in the New Testament, and Jesus had forgiven her for so much, and she showed up to a party, and she was a sinful woman. She saw that no one had honored Jesus. No one had washed his feet. No one had welcomed him. And so she, do you remember the story? She washed his feet with her hair. She, she wet them with her tears. And Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And she, she broke an alabaster jar, so expensive. And she did a beautiful thing for Christ. Hey, are you doing a beautiful thing for Christ? Are you giving? Are you personally devoted to God? Do you worship with other believers? And jot this down. Have you turned away from sin? Repenting means turning away from sin. Sin is thrilling for a short time that it leaves you empty-handed, lonely, and far from God forever. If you have an unbroken pattern of selfish, sinful, unbiblical living, then you're not saved, according to Scripture. God's judgment is coming, but if you turn around, if you turn away, if you turn towards the one who can save your soul, then you can have a personal relationship with God. And this person here is, is devoted to God, crying with his mouth and High praise on his tongue. So jot this down. Are you praying fervently? Are you crying out to God? Is God the way you're getting through it? Have you turned away from a selfish, self-indulgent, and loner lifestyle? And are you truly trusting God for your next breath? It says in verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Which means we have to let go of our false beliefs and our false behavior, or God won't hear our prayers and he won't accept us. But when we've turned around and we pray, it says that God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. The first prayer you ever need to pray is, God, save me. And so many of the boys and girls this week, every day we gave the boys and girls an opportunity of VBS to get saved. I said, you can stand up and say sorry to God for all of your sins. Every sin needs to be repented of. And so many boys and girls did that. Maybe you've never said sorry to God. You think you're a pretty good person or you're religious and, and you think that you and God have been good your whole life. But the Bible says that we are fallen, that we are, uh, when it comes to spirituality, we're dead and God has to give us new life. You can say, save me, God. You can also say, help me, help me with your needs and, and tell him everything you need. You can cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then you can ask him to use you. God, use me. Help me to share my story with everybody. Help me to tell everybody what you've done. Write amazing stories in my life and then help me to share that with everybody. And I want to give you assurance that if you give your life to Christ and repent of your sins, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. As a youth pastor, 
As a closing story, let me share this with you. I made a hospital visit to a senior saint in our church. She was like 93 years old. Her name was Wilhelmina Mortensen. Now there's a name for you. Wilhelmina Mortensen. And when I visited her, I sat down by her bedside, and she was, she was pretty much gone. She was laying there hallucinating. She saw things on the wall. At one point, she thought the room was on fire. I said, Wilhelmina, everything's fine. And she just was looking around, so disoriented. But she had uh, served the Lord in missions before and walked with God her whole life. And so I just opened my Bible and read some verses to her. And then I said, Wilhelmina, do you know Jesus loves you? And I was getting no response up to that point. And when I said that, she stopped and looked me right in the eye. And she sat up and she held her hand in the air and said, I followed Jesus when I was 16 years of age. And then she said, 16 years of age. And then she laid back down. And she wasn't quite with it again after that point. But it's amazing to see the evidence that the Holy Spirit is inside of her. And when she can't make sense of anything else and she's about to go on to glory, that is still clear. And listen, I want that to be your story. I want Christ to hold you throughout this life and on to eternity. So I want to give you a chance to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord right now. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads and let's pray together based on what we've heard. Father, I'm sure that there are people here today who they would say they're religious. They would say they're good. They would say they've lived life the way they think it should be lived, but they have never been saved. There are some people here today who really haven't lived a religious life and they haven't cared about you. They haven't ever prayed to you and they realize today that they're not saved. And Lord, I just give them an opportunity right now to pray and receive Christ as Savior and Lord as your spirit prompts them to nail this down right now. They can pray in their own heart saying something like this, Father, I've heard of your great works today and I've been invited to come and see and I am amazed by what you would do for a sinner like me. They can say this in their own heart, Jesus, save me, forgive me, Wash away all of my sins. Lead me safely through those dark waters of sin and death and promise me paradise forever. And Father, as people are praying that right now, I pray that you would give them the confidence that they are saved, that they are redeemed, that you will never leave them or forsake them. You will see them on into the next life and they will dwell with you in the house of the Lord forever. Praise you for saving us, O Lord, by your grace, not by works, but by grace we are saved. In Jesus' name, amen.